0: Hey, if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and make your way to Galatians chapter 5. When you find that, you can just put your finger there or a pencil or something like that because I'm going to also need you to find Matthew chapter 7. Two passages, one sermon. How will he do it? I don't know. Hey, if you're a guest with us, thanks for being here this morning. We're so happy that you chose to spend your morning with us. You picked a great Sunday to actually come to church as well because we're starting a brand new series this morning called The Dog Days of Summer. I don't know about you, but I always thought the dog days were those summer days when it was just so abhorrently and devastatingly hot that even our dogs would just lie around and be lazy. I was surprised, though, to find out that uh, originally the phrase actually had nothing to do with the summer heat or with dogs or the lazy days of summer. Instead, it turns out, the dog days refer to the uh, uh, star named Sirius. It was also referred to as the dog star, and uh, the, the dog days of summer refer to its position in the heavens. To the Greeks and Romans, the dog days occurred when this star, Sirius, rose just before the sun in late July. These happen to be generally the hottest days of the year. But coincidentally, they also had a lot of calamity and sickness. And so uh, those people attributed that to this star and these dog days. In fact, if you go back as far as Homer and the Iliad, he refers to Sirius as Orion's dog rising. And he describes a star being associated with war and disaster. So that's where we actually get the phrase from. This is comical, of course, to us because we know that uh, stars don't cause war or disease. And with the advent of technology and telescopes, we know this particular star doesn't always rise in the heat of July. If you could take Adam Sandler's remote and fast forward 13,000 years, you would find out that uh, uh, Sirius will be rising in the dead of winter. So it should be called, uh, in actuality, the dog days of winter whatever, you know, I'm not not going to be around to correct anybody, you know, that that's not how it used to be, but neither will you, so uh, my point is the meaning of the phrase has been lost, yet the phrase lives on, uh, primarily because everybody just decided to make up a definition, uh, it's hot, the dogs are lazy, it's the dog days of summer, uh, the reason I wanted to do a series with that for a title is because I've discovered an interesting situation with my own life that perhaps you can relate to as well. I read an article a while back which presented evidence that long summer breaks have been shown to cause children to lose ground academically. It's a phenomenon known as the summer slump where students, on average, return to school in the fall having lost or having forgotten a full month of learning. In other words, your kids are getting dumber the longer they're with you this summer. Amen. You know, yeah. I think we could all agree to that. Some of you already realized that. Uh, I also found an article and uh, a survey from June of this year, which said parents are ready for their kids to go back to school a full 13 days into summer break. You couldn't even make it two weeks with those monsters, you know, like it was just, it's just disaster. What's compelling to me is I've found the same paradox to be true in my spiritual life. Uh, life happens in the summer I get that vacations and swimming and sports and uh, just getting outside because the sun is out and uh, the longer I just let summer life happen with no real intentionality behind my spiritual life I find that I'm more like my kids in my learning that I'm forgetting things that uh, I find uh, I'm actually maybe getting a little bit dumber Perhaps annoying my heavenly father, because I'm not living the way maybe he's called me to do, and with all my complaining, uh, you know, how often do people ask, in the summer specifically, well, how, how are you doing? How are things going? And the response is, well, it's summer, uh, as if to imply that uh, somehow the, the season uh, makes our personalities change. I wonder if that's not how God would have us live in this season. Ultimately, the question I'm trying to answer over these next couple of weeks is how can we, instead of coming back to church in the fall, perhaps uh, behind, perhaps forgetting, forgetting something? How can we come back smarter? You know, how can we take some steps closer to Jesus this summer? How, how can we uh, maybe maybe navigate our life closer to what He would call us to do instead of falling perhaps out of earshot? The title of my message this morning is "Orange You Glad It's Sunday." <laughs> Get it? Get it? Orange. Uh, it'll make more sense in a second, but here's my entire here's my entire sermon in one sentence. You can jot this down. Healthy trees yield verifiable fruit this entire message. Healthy trees, we want you to be a healthy tree, by the way. You're going to yield a verifiable fruit. You know, How do we know if we're getting closer to Jesus in this season of life? How do we know if we're living our destiny and we're making an impact and and doing what God has called us to do? Uh, People often ask, well, what's God's will for my life? Well, how do you know God's will for your life? Well, healthy trees will yield verifiable fruit. I want you to look at something with me in Matthew chapter 7 pick it up in verse 17 You can follow along here on screen if you didn't bring your Bible or there in your notes. It reads, A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Here's what I want you to write down. What's that passage mean for us? Your fruit will produce your future. Your fruit, what you're producing in life, the, the, the things that you're doing, that's actually going to dictate where your future goes. In my initial preparation for this talk, I wrote down that uh, you can't fake fruit. But then I realized, oh no, you can fake fruit. You know, you've been to grandma's house before and accidentally bit into that wax apple. That's a, that's a horrible, horrible deception, grandma. Like, why would you leave that as a decoration? Do you watch HDTV, Grandma? You know, I mean, it's like shiplap now. It's not wax fruit anymore, but I I digress. Grocery stores fake fruit all the time. Uh, Did you know oranges are actually supposed to be green when they're ripe? They're not actually orange. Uh, It's true. Why are they called oranges then, Pastor? Well, it's funny you should ask that. Uh, Oranges get their name from a Sanskrit word, uh, and it means fragrant. It's a bit like our English word for orange, um, and that's how we got the name. It has nothing to do with their appearance. It has to do with their smell. Now, the flesh of oranges certainly do flare an orange color, but uh, that's not actually the determining factor on whether or not you'd want to eat them. Most oranges are green when they're ripe, and i have told the green ones taste way better than the orange ones. By the time they turn orange, they're actually sliding downhill to Towards rot. Uh, the green skin means the tree is doing what it's supposed to do. It's pumping the fruit full of chlorophyll, and uh, in warm, sunny countries, that chlorophyll stays in the fruit, hence why it's green. It's only when the fruit is exposed to cold that the chlorophyll dies off, the orange color shines through. When they were shipping oranges to the Americas, that's why they would turn orange. Yes, yeah, since most people associate green fruit with unripe fruit, most most oranges in the United States have to be colored to be sellable. In order to break down the chlorophyll and make the oranges orange, in some cases, they're exposed to ethylene gas. Uh, That sounds healthy to to eat. Uh, Some are shocked with cold. Some are covered in wax. Some are scrubbed down with detergent. And some are just literally dyed orange. Uh, Anything for a sale. Perhaps you already knew all of those facts in which case how dare you let me live this charade for 35 years of my life and keep that information to yourself that's jacked up orange oranges but uh, things are rarely what they seem the bible makes it clear that good trees make good fruit and your fruit is going to produce your future Furthermore, Jesus, who is speaking here in this passage, says you'll know a good tree uh, in the same way uh, by you'll know a good person with by their actions. You know, you know a good tree by how it produces fruit. You're going to know a good person by how they act. I like that he makes that distinction uh, because we live in a very fake society. I wonder how many people right now are trying to look good on the outside for no other purpose than to impress people and to. Look good on the outside to hide what's on the inside, similar to an orange. Oranges don't taste better when they're orange; uh, they just look better. Uh, I'll tell you something right now for something that's true for every single person in your row right now. As you look down the row, this this same phenomenon is true for every single person. They're jacked up. Amen. Every every one of us in here right now, we have something in our lives that is. Uh, Weird or wrong, jacked up. We all have a condition. We're just very good at compensating for our condition. We're very good at concealing the color of our orange. People have gotten very rich at developing apps for your phone for no other purpose than to make you look better on the outside. Apps like Facetune and Picture will make your face more symmetrical, your skin smoother, your teeth whiter. Uh, Skinny Picks and Skinny Cam will make you appear 10 pounds lighter when you take a picture. FaceTime facelift, designed to make sure you look better while pointing your phone's video camera at your face. You say, Pastor, can you repeat all of those uh, for me? (laughs) Research purposes, I would like to... No, I will not do that for you. Uh, It's just you trying to be an orange-orange instead of a green one. Uh, Healthy trees yield verifiable fruit, and my job is to help you start producing fruit that's in indicative of a healthy tree, because your fruit is going to produce your future. I want to equip you for a positive future. The irony here is this isn't a new problem. Jesus spoke about this 2,000 years ago, and people were just as concerned with how they looked on the outside, why they wanted to hide what was going on in the inside. They just didn't have technology uh, you know, to, to artificially hide how they looked. They actually had to interact with each, each other like in person. Uh, it sounds horrible, I know, but that's what they had to do. So. Uh, and Jesus said, look at their actions. That's how you'll actually know what it is they're doing. Uh, how you'll actually know what's on the inside by how they act on the outside. Jesus must have spoken the same words to a guy named Paul, because when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, here's what he said. You can flip over to Galatians 5. He writes, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He'll produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if your life is not currently marked by one of these nine areas, if you can't look at your life and describe it as peaceful or joyful or patient or, or good, among others, then you've been producing some bad fruit. The litmus test for how well you're following Jesus and living the life He's told you to is by uh, your good fruit. The simplest way to articulate why Jesus came to this earth is for these nine things. Jesus knew sin separated you from God. There's no way to get close to God with sin in your life. And he knew that you couldn't have a full life without these nine fruits. So he chose to come to this earth uh, to, to die on a cross, to expel that sin from you, to pay that penalty. That was due to you because the wages of sin is death. So and then he rose from the dead so that you could also be born again and enjoy your life on this planet by producing good fruit. He said, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. John ten. 10. And, and only through the power of the Holy Spirit do these fruits bloom in good time. It's only through Jesus that you can find fulfillment in life. Amen, somebody. Amen. That being said, with the rest of our time together, I want us to focus on one of these fruits because to me, one of them seems a little bit out of place. Uh, if you think about something, it says here, the Holy Spirit who is in charge of producing this fruit, uh, I, so I get that part of it, like the Holy Spirit, I need help loving people. I know I need help, you know, with joy and love while they're driving slow in the fast lane, like I get that within my own life, I need some help with that, I need peace and patience, you know, at the DMV waiting for this driver's license and all of that, so I need the Holy Spirit to give me kindness and goodness and, and faithfulness at the doctor's office while I'm just waiting for an eternity, you know, to, to see them, so I understand all that, but then Paul throws in this weird hyphenated word, self-control, that doesn't seem like a Holy Spirit thing to me. Self-control. By definition, it's kind of on me, right? Self-control. I'm controlling myself. So what I think Paul is getting at is there's a difference between being a Christian and being Christ-centered. Being a Christian, belief, faith, values, grace, all of that, it's quite simple. But being Christ-centered, that requires work. that requires cultivating fruit. That's why Paul continues on in Galatians chapter 6 when he writes, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now that's self-control coming in to play. You, you planted that seed, now you're harvesting what it produced. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting Life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll we reap a harvest of blessing. A harvest of what? Blessing. Harvest of blessing. If, if you do not give up, look at your neighbor and say, "Don't give up." Don't give up the harvest of blessing is contingent upon you not giving up. Here's what I want you to remember. Write this down. If you're producing bitter fruit, then plant better seeds. If you have bitterness in your life and you're not getting good fruit, then you need to start planting some better seeds because you're reaping what you sow. Uh, your seedless watermelon is convenient, but it's not sustainable. You know, seedless grapes very very tasty, a lot easier to eat, but they're not perennial. You know, they're not coming back every year. In the same way, there's an element within the Christian faith that requires us to do some work, to plant some seeds, to cultivate some good fruit. The Bible calls it self control. It's very counterintuitive to what the world is trying to teach you right now. The world says life should be easy. You shouldn't have to work hard. Throw down some seed, It'll come up. You know, the, the, the world wants to say, young people, you see what your parents spent their entire lives working for? You should have that right now. You should be a CEO of a company. You don't need experience. You, know, you have a blog. You've, you've read about it. You don't, you don't need to, to, I mean, work hard. You have the Internet. You know, I mean, technology is so advanced that you shouldn't have to, to do everything. It makes everything easy and accessible. All sarcasm aside, the promises of technology have betrayed us. They haven't slowed anything down. They've made life faster, noisier, and unwaveringly constant. And people say, "Oh, that's just because you haven't found any balance." Listen to me. You know what you need in order to find balance? Everybody to stop moving. That's the only way you can find balance in life. So, kids, don't get any older. You know, I need I need to find some balance in life. Job don't ever change. You know, don't don't bring up any problems. I'm trying to find balance. I need everything to stop moving. You know, except my food. If it gets keep moving. Past you know, about this general section here. That puts me out of balance too because I look like a snowman, but nonetheless, uh, the balance is, is unattainable in this life. The truth is, if you want to harvest a blessing the Bible talks about, you have to realize the harvest is the hardest part. Anybody else grow up, I didn't grow up on a farm, but anybody grow up on a farm or have a mega huge garden? You know, like when is the hardest season? The harvest season. You have to be out there every day and picking fruit and it seems like you know one day there's nothing and then just boom the next day overnight everything is harvesting and you've got to get out there and and do some work. The same thing is true in your spiritual life. The harvest of blessing is no different than the physical harvest within life. Jesus says uh, my father is always at work and so too am I going to be at work. Vis-a-vis we should be too. Working In this life. Now listen carefully because I want to make a distinction here. The gift of salvation, the blessing of eternal life through faith in Jesus, that is absolutely free. That is free for anyone who believes. No work required. You know, no shirt, no shoes. You still get service from Jesus, okay? Because he came to die for you. We know this because Jesus said to another guy who was being crucified on a cross next to him, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Uh, that man was a criminal who, who committed such heinous crimes that the only possible punishment fitting for those crimes was to be smothered to death by being crucified on a cross. And he says, "No, Jesus, I believe in you." And Jesus said, "Yes, today." He didn't have time to do any work. He didn't have time to get involved at church and tithe and and, and start serving and and all of these things that you should be doing. He had time for none of that. And Jesus said, no, no, you, you're the same as as the next guy. And uh, it's all you need. Salvation is 100% free. But in response to our salvation, we strive. We work. That's why Paul in Philippians talks about work out your salvation. And just because it's summer doesn't mean we should slough off. Our vacations are necessary. But those things are physical, not spiritual. So uh, what I want to do is uh, just for a couple minutes, be super practical before we get out of here to help you produce a fruit that's worth harvesting, not because it saves us, but because we've been saved. What's been helpful to me is to break up this work into daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly sort of objectives. Sounds like a lot of work, Pastor. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, suffocating to death while hanging on a cross doesn't sound like a walk in the park either. So maybe we could, you know, do something. Uh, in fairness, 1 John 5 does say that these commands won't be burdensome, so if you find any of these things that I'm about to lay out for you overwhelming, then do something else. You know, plant a different seed. These are just some seeds that have worked in my own life, but you know, take baby steps, Bob. Baby steps. Never mind. What about Bob? Okay, moving on. Uh, Because your fruit is going to produce your future, healthy trees yield verifiable results. Here's some seeds that you can try planting. These are some things that I've incorporated into my own life, and maybe they'll work for you as well. Daily. doesn't happen every day, but here's the goal. I try Monday through Friday to get up between 5.30 and 6, start my morning by reading my Bible and praying, which, listen, I've learned to like mornings, okay? So I totally get that some of you in this room uh, are not morning people. You know, the only way you're getting up at 5.30 is if Jesus physically comes and wakes you up. You know, even then you're going to be like, five more minutes, Jesus, please, can I just need a little more time here in this bed? Uh, So there's nothing magical about the morning. Uh, In my house, it's quiet. Everybody else is still asleep, and so it's time for me, and it works. I've also discovered that between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m., I'm at my best. I'm at my most productive 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., so I want to be doing what I'm best at when I'm at my best. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Figure out within the course of your day when you're at your best. Try and structure your day to do what you're best at when you're at your best. So uh, I need to get some of these early things done, the Bible reading, prayer. I'd I'd like to journal a little bit as well. Uh, I need to get that done before 7 a.m., so 5, 30, and 6, try and get it done. Again, my Bible reading plan is just a five-day plan. I only read it Monday through Friday, and what it does is it takes me through the entire Bible in a year, five days. I also get two weeks of vacation in there, too. It doesn't take the whole 365 uh, in order to get through the entire Bible. And so that's what I like to do. I read the Bible, record some thoughts in there, got a list of things that I try and pray over, and that's what my morning looks like. Now, I'm not an excellent prayer. People often ask me to pray for them because I'm a pastor which I do. I have a list of things. Anytime somebody asks me to pray, I I add that to the list, but it's not one of my spiritual gifts, prayer. Uh, My gifts are preaching and leadership, and so uh, I've learned to figure out how to to pray a little better, some things that have helped me. Uh, One of the things is I have a book in my office of Puritan prayers. Uh, Say what you want about the Puritans, but those brothers could pray. Okay? Brew beer, which is also awesome, so in both cases. But I've got sidetracked there. Uh, prayer, uh, Puritan prayer is in my office. And so when I come into the office at, at lunchtime and before I leave in the evening, I read out loud a Puritan prayer. Uh, it's just helped me uh, connect to God and, and, and figure out some of my prayer life. I've also found the most important prayer that I can pray is what I call the drive time prayer. I uh, When I leave my office in the evenings, I know my real job is just be Beginning, second shift is about to start. You know, first I'm a husband, and then I'm a dad, and then I'm I'm a pastor, and so I need God to orient my life around those things. And so uh, I know that when I pull into my driveway, I have absolutely no idea what I'm about to walk into. You know, I could walk into the smell of dinner cooking and kids quietly sitting around a table nicely coloring pictures of Jesus, or more frequently, I could walk into chaos and violence and no sign of supper anywhere. Uh, The only coloring being done is on the walls, and it's not pictures of Jesus. Uh, and, And in fairness, you know, sometimes I do know what I'm about to walk into because when I pull in the driveway, Alana's chasing the dog outside in her underwear with no shirt on, and Leighton's peeing in the front yard because it was too much of a walk inside or the backyard, Uh, and so I have a good idea, you know, we got that third kid somewhere, I don't know, know, we had to switch from man to man to zone, so now we're just trying to, you know, organize chaos, but we're doing the best we can with where we're at, Uh, somehow I think people feel like, you know, you're a pastor, your kids should be all sane, and life is dancing bunnies on rainbows riding unicorns but that's not how it is. Uh, so in the evenings on my drive home I just want God to again reorient my attitude and my life around what my primary function should be. You know otherwise when I get home I'll just flip on the TV or hop on the Facebook box and have unnecessary expectations put on my wife for what should have happened while I was gone. You know how is supper not done? You, you, have you said that before? That doesn't end well. How many of you all know that? Uh, it's not a good, so, you know, how are the kids all, uh, you know, she I kept them alive. That's that's her, you know, that's the win at this point. Okay, great. So, so, drive time home. God help me as I, help me love my wife the way you loved your church. Help, help me pastor my kids. Help me do something to make an impact where they're at. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Along with that, one of the things I like to do at supper time is ask my family to question. What was your favorite part of the day? What was your least favorite part of the day? Ask your kids those two questions every single day. What I like about it is it prohibits one-word answers. If you just say, even to your spouse or whoever, how was your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Right? And so I don't want those answers. I actually want to know. So I'm going to ask high and low. What was best? What was worst? It It facilitates conversations. You know, don't waste opportunities. Uh, King David tells us, teach uh, teach me to number my days. And that's what I'm trying to do. Daily, figure out where God has placed me, what I'm supposed to be doing. Those are some things that help me daily. Okay? Weekly. Weekly, I'm trying to cultivate good fruit by gathering here with you. There's a responsibility that we have as Christians to come and serve in our local church. If you don't believe me, just read Hebrews 10.25. So I I'm teaching my kids and my family that this is what we do. We don't just come to church. We are the church. And so we're going to serve the church in whatever way we can. We're going to help create an environment of love for all people to come in here and hear the gospel proclaimed that God loves you Amen. right where you're at. Don't know how each and every one of you came in today, but here's what you could absolutely take with you to the bank. God loves you. he he sent his son to die just for you and he wants you to have life and have it to the full so I want to use whatever God has given me and my abilities in order to serve him and help facilitate and foster that environment you've heard me say that church should look way more like a party than a funeral because we have something to celebrate primarily the salvation of Jesus and eternal life with him Uh, but it's also fun realizing that God has allowed us to participate in his story like He's gifted every single one of you with something. Everyone in here is a 10 in some area. The fun of life is you get to discover what that area is and start using it for God's glory and your joy. Uh, so I want to gather with you weekly, figure out how God has used me, and use uh, that for, again, His glory my joy. Weekly, I also want to build in one night for a small group. I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do or haven't done for myself. So Laura and I, uh, we organize, organize, our schedule around the one night a week that our small group meets because we know life change happens within the context of a relationship. Uh, Circles not rows. Uh, An hour a week on a Sunday might change your life to a certain point but if you want to start cultivating good fruit you got to get into a life changing uh, relationship with, with somebody who knows you and knows your story and can help encourage you and foster a relationship with Jesus in there. Plus, our groups are here at New Anthem are a series of semesters three semesters ten weeks each so you only have to commit for ten weeks and if you don't like the group you can get in a new group and uh, you get the summer off and it's all fantastic we've designed it around the idea of helping you and uh we make no bones about the fact that there's not balance in life, so we understand you're busy. Just commit for 10 weeks, and, and we'll give you breaks in between, okay? Personally, also try and listen to or read a book a week. Leaders are readers, okay? So book a week. Uh, if I have a busy uh, week that week, I'll listen to a book a week, or I'll try and read that book, but it helps me grow. It produces fruit. I found new anthems out his best when I'm at my best, so I need to be you know doing things to help me be my best, I also try and pick a day, depending on the week, where I fast. Generally, it's a Monday or a Wednesday fast, breakfast and lunch. You know, how often do we just get into the habit of going to the grocery store, or grabbing the food, or or hopping in the line at the drive-through? And we live in such a blessed country where we can just do that. But we also fail to realize that it's God who gives us all good gifts, and uh, food being one of them. And so I just want to remind myself that you know. God God is who's given me uh, the ability and wherewithal and f- financial freedom to, to eat where I want and all that. So I'm just going to set aside a block of time to thank God You know that He's allowed me to do this. So fasting reminds me, You know all good gifts are coming from God. It's James one seventeen. So that's weekly. Uh, if that helps, great. Again, monthly, uh, I give a tithe. Again, never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. Our church tithes 10% of our, our income. Whatever you give, we also give away in line with this fasting idea. Uh, I'll just take a a month or a day within a month and I'll shut off my phone. No phone, no email, no computer. Um, I just want to remind myself that God is in control. I want to try and hear from Him. I need... um, you know to shut off all the distractions so fast from technology a day a month Laura and I sponsor a child for each one of our children uh, so we monthly try and write a letter also we pay for that you know monthly uh, that's not part of our tithe you know that's above and beyond the Bible calls that an offering uh, uh, we give more every uh, year than the year we we did before um, so that's something that we've built in uh, and every time God has come through you know how many people kind of project onto me that we have this great faith and we planted the church and all that you know what it started back here where God came through every single time and so it was just pretty easy to say okay God we'll just do whatever you called us to do so um, I already said that I try to read through the Bible every year so there's that also want to try and get away on a vacation you know we need to reconnect with our families we need to rejuvenate those relationships so I totally get that into ourselves you know take A week off, even if you don't have a family, uh, take that week off of vacation uh, because you need that. Um, I don't want my kids growing up hating church or hating God because daddy worked all the time. And I don't want your family growing up hating God because daddy worked all the time, even if it's in, you know, secular occupation. Uh, You need to do things to cultivate life within your families. I've met plenty of people who grew up poor, but their parents were are always there and I've met a ton of people who grew up and daddy was always gone and they're jacked up because of it but they had a lot of money you know that's not the life you should want for your kids be home be present cultivate good fruit that's your first calling in life does that make sense amen uh here's some free advice to parents connect the joy your kids are experiencing to a God in heaven who loves them and loves to give good gifts God loves to give good gifts. You know How cool is God that he created the PS4? Like that was in his mind, but you know, eternity ago. You know, how cool is God that he developed uh, a mushroom-eating plumber that could save a princess? Like that's fantastic to, to even think about. How cool is God that he's given you the physical ability to kick a ball into a goal or throw, you know, a rubber ball through an iron hoop? How amazing is God that he's given you a talent to play an instrument and and you make him proud when you work hard and practice and do all of those things but uh, again that's free advice so uh, take it for what it's worth here's what I want to say though as we close healthy trees yield verifiable fruit. God for whatever reason has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of Jesus that he wants to come into your life and have a relationship with you and change it for the good and have fullness of life. It's our job to love God and to love people and the beauty of the gospel is he's given us some benchmarks on how we can know whether or not we're fulfilling that purpose. And primarily it's the in your actions. It's in your fruit. So Matthew 7 teaches us, I feel like if you get nothing else I say, what I really want to make sure you understand is that most of Christianity is not high, mountaintop, Shekinah glory, God shining on my face, uh, these radical amazing experiences. I hope you have those. But most of the Christian life is just walking one foot in front of the other I read my Bible today I might not have heard anything from God sometimes that's what Christian life is. I wish somebody would have told me that on the front end. That sometimes you have to trudge through the swamp in order to get to the ocean. Uh, And God has it out there waiting for you but you have to do some of the work on the front end. So waking up, reading the Bible, praying, getting in a group, serving, doing all of these things and some point realizing he was there all along. You know That sometimes it's high sights 2020 that as we get through life and we just kind of felt like we were trudging then we look back and we're like oh no god was here through through it all thick and thin storm and peace if i can be honest with you sometimes following god is just yeah got through today That's the truth. Uh, But other times it's amazing and worship filled and and it's it's both and uh, that you need to start striving for in your life. Because listen, it's why we need each other. Because sometimes it's hmm. But when we gather, we always have something to celebrate. When we gather, there's always somebody that we can encourage. When we gather, there's always some fruit that we can harvest together. How many of you all know it's better to pick grapes in a group than it is by yourself? And so it's important to gather and get together and celebrate all the good that God is doing. Let's not waste a summer day. Let's keep after it, if for no other reason than we know we're supposed to. You know, orange, you glad you came to church today. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, Got the orange on and everything. So, uh, again, God has some things He wants you to do in this life. Salvation, it's free, but bearing fruit, Driving, Don't go through the summer slump. God wants you to be part of His plan and part of His story. Every eye closed, every head bowed, let's thank God this morning for His presence. God, we are so grateful just for the opportunity to gather in this place. We're so thankful that You have given us Your Word. You've given us an instruction manual for life. We know that uh, the things You're asking us to do is for our joy, It's to bring your name glory. We know a harvest of blessing is on its way if we do not give up. God, I know that you've brought people into this room who have yet to establish this relationship with you. If that's you this morning, coming in for the very first time, ready to make this commitment to God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, I want you to put your trust in Jesus. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Um, So I want you to follow me in this prayer, just to ask Jesus into your life to help change you so you can start bearing this good fruit and reaping this harvest of blessing. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've not planted good seeds. But I believe because of Jesus, my life can change. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm new. Thank you for saving me. Help me realize what seeds I need to plant in order to bear good fruit. God, help each person as they leave this place today to have fun, to enjoy life, to thank you for all the good gifts that you've given, if nothing more than just to wake up this morning. We love you. We praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.